Okay, good morning, happy Shusha of Purim Katan. Um, today's daf is daf Kufyud Gimel. And um, we're going to go right from the bottom of Kufyud Beis Amud Beis, 112b. Um, and today's shirs Le'ilu Nishma Svi Ben Moshe and Yosef Ben Sadja. May the Neshamas have an Aliyah and may the memory be a blessing. Okay, so remember we're discussing sending someone to summons. Obviously, if they don't respond to the summons, the next step is excommunication. So we're continuing with that discussion. So right at the bottom of the page, Omar Avina, Yahvina, Zimna, Apumai, De Isisov, Apumai, De Shivava. You can give summons through, the, through a woman or through neighbors. I think the novelty is it doesn't have to be an official representative from Beisdin, and you can trust them that they will deliver it. The law Omron Bamasa. And they did it, and that's only where the person's not in town. Aval Isia Bamasa, if the person is in town, law, you can't rely on them. The Beisdin v'omrelei. The person who you ask, you ask the neighbor, please tell your when you please tell your neighbor that we expect him in court on Thursday. He's going to say, well, I know my neighbors around. The Beisdin probably just uh, asked someone else to do it, or appointed their official shliach, so I don't have to really worry about it. But if he's out of town, ah, oh, then they need me. That's why they're asking me. And also, it's not where the person passes by Beisdin. Rashi wants to on his way home. Is he going to pass? By the Beisdin or not? But if, you, if he does pass through the pass by the gate, the entrance of the Beisdin, well then they can't rely on the, this neighbor or woman. While Omri, they will say to themselves, Beisdin most likely found him and told him when he walked on his way home from work, he, they stopped him and told him. And this also, again, that you can rely on the woman or the neighbor is where he's going to come home that day. But if he's not going to come home that day, we've got to be concerned that they might forget. So you can't excommunicate a person for not arriving at Beisdin unless you can be certain that he reached his summons. And if you're asking, if you're asking a favor... Oh, it's your uh, moment. I know you stay near that person, or you often go, will you just pop by and drop him the summons? I've got to be confident that you're going to do that and not rely on, oh, uh, I probably bumped into him, based him, probably sent their own person, whatever the reason might be. There was a person who wrote, they wrote this excommunication for not coming to Basedin. Until he actually comes to court, you don't tear up the excommunication. I, you can't, you can't say, okay, no, I'll come tomorrow, I'll come tomorrow. That's not good enough. We want to see you in court. We've already summoned you. So to tell me that, yes, I'm coming tomorrow, that's not good enough. Um, but if he's in Cheyenne for not listening to Beisdin, until he actually listens. So Beisdin says, okay, we find you guilty, you must go pay, pay uh, Ruvain uh, 10,000 Rand. And then he doesn't listen, so they'll put him in Khairim. He stays in Khairim until he actually listens, until he pays off or does what he has to do. Says Velohi, but that's not true. As soon as he says, I will, I will listen, then we tear it up. The reason is because we can assume he really wants to listen to Basin. Why hasn't he paid the 10,000 Rand? Because he has to get it, he has to find a loan, he has to sell something. So therefore, we can be a bit more lenient when it comes to that. Omar Rabchizda says, Koivin's man. 
Shani v'chamishi v'shani. Rashi says, we sent him a summons on Monday. And as we're going to see, if he does not come on the Monday, we send him a new summons for the Thursday. And if not on Thursday, we send him a new summons for the next Monday. Basically, about a week and a half, but a summons for each Monday, for Monday, Thursday, Monday, those are the days based on this. Bismana, bismana, basas, mana. One summons after the other summons. And then the following day, so that would be the Tuesday, Kazvinan, we write the excommunication. Ravasi Ikla Bayrab Kahana Khaziahu Isasa the Azmona Ladina Bapanya. There was the Ravasi went to the Baravhuna and he saw this woman who had this summons written for her in the in the evening with Safra Kosibolea Psicha and the next morning he wrote for her Psicha. Says Omala Lasa Ulahodamada Omar Abdizda Kovinch Zman Shaini Bhamishi Vashani says, Don't you hold for Abkhizda that says you give them a Monday, Thursday, Monday. Why are you giving them a summons the very next day? So he says, no, Omerlei Hanimili Gavrit, the honest, that would be a man who gets honest. I'll explain what the honest is. Velaisa Bamasa, and he might not be in town. So we've got to be a bit more lenient and give him more time. But Isis are given the Isia Bamasa Velo Isia Moredesi. This woman, since she's definitely in town and she doesn't come, she's acting, uh, I don't know, rebellious is not the right translation here. She's being uh, in contempt of court, and therefore she should be, uh, she gets punished. Why a man, he might get called out on business. I often get a message from uh, some people in my shoe, you know, sorry, I'm flying out the next Monday. <laughs> so to issue you a summons for Monday and expect you to be there is not fair. So that's why you get Monday to But women, they don't have any issues. I would assume nowadays that women are, I don't, I don't know if, don't know in the Jewish community, I think, are equally involved, but are very involved in businesses and are also likely to travel. Maybe you would have to revise their, the process of giving them a summons. Things would also change where you have nowadays a based in sitting every day. If you still give them a week and a half, still Monday, Thursday, things that the Dayanim would have to take into consideration. Omar of Yehuda, Lo Yavinazman, Amina. In my narrow world, I still hear of men traveling more than women and men being more involved in business than women. Um, but I don't know, we can check the stats on that. Omar of Yehuda, Lai Yavin Azmana, Lai Biyomenisin, Velo Biyometushe, Velo Bamale Yometova, Velo Bamale Shabsa. You're not allowed to give a summons in Nisan or Tishrei or Erev Yom Tov or Erev Shabbos. Nisan and Tishrei Rashi says, um, because that's when people are busy with the harvest. It's a very busy time, so it's not fair to summons them. I was thinking maybe it's also just extra busy because of the festivals. Tishrei, you know, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, very busy. Um, Nisan, you could say the same thing. Pesach, a lot of lot of stuff to do. And also on Erev Shabbos and Yom Tov, there we know everyone's very, very busy. So you can't issue a summons then. And you can send a summons during Nisan, for after Nisan, or Tishrei for after Tishrei. But you can't give them a summons on Erev Shabbos for them to come on Sunday. My time, what's the reason? But they say the Shabbos Torah is so caught up in the work for Shabbos, he's going to forget about it. Seems interesting. Because things are so hectic when you're giving the summons, he's going to forget. So Nisan, to we say Nisan's also hectic, he's busy with his harvest. So it seems that, I guess, since it's over a longer time, there is a more greater sense of control and relaxness that we can expect him to remember. You don't, these are different uh, joshes I have. The color was a, here it seems maybe a weekly or a annually or biannually shir that they used to have. So you don't hand out summons at the shir. And you don't hand out summons at the festivals for the regal, the shirim for the regal. Remember the, the Gomorrah says, 
you start preparing for the regal, you give a shoe 30 days before. So you don't give hand out the summons that those, why not? Pretty self-explanatory. Nothing like stopping people coming to a shoe then knowing that they might expect Bayesden to be waiting there to give everyone the, the, the required summons. So some people came to Rav Nachman and they asked him, "Can you? We want to." They came to Rav Nachman at the shir and they claimed money from someone else, basically expecting him to issue the summons. He says, "What do you think? I gathered everyone here for you." He says, "No, I gathered everyone here for the shir. We're going to have the shir." He says, "However, nowadays that there are lots of uh, ramo, uh, lies and crooks, we worry about that." I just try not to let my mind so hard. So what do we do? We do issue a summons because we're going to struggle to find them later. I think that's what we uh, what we're concerned about. Okay, so that's the uh, that's many of the some of the halachas of a summons. We said in the Mishnah, if it is if the father left the orphan something that is yesh ba'achrayos, you're obligated to. To pay. So we're not specifically talking about something, literally something that has Akras. Are we not literally talking about land? Even a cow to plow or a donkey to lead, you're obligated to return. Now, why are, they, why are we calling them something like land? Because they're distinct. You know who the owner is. As we mentioned a few times, it's a degrading to the father, as we say. And then why do you return it? Out of respect and honor to their fathers. Because it's degrading to the non-Jew, to, to, sorry, to the father, that every time someone says, oh, that's Ruben's cow that the father stole. So you return it so that it doesn't have that um, to limit that. It says, What's the halach if it's a bed? that he sits on or lies on, or a table that he eats by, what would the halacha be there? Why is it a question? Because a cow and a donkey are out in the public. These things remain out. So if I have you over, you're going to be like, oh, that picture on all that table, where have I seen it before? Did you steal it from Ruben? But that's only if, you, if I have you over. Most people won't know that I've stolen. So maybe it's not such a disgrace. Or at the end of the day... No, anyone who comes into my house will see the stolen goods, and therefore it is a disgrace. So, Amalah, Tain Lechachom Beyech Kamod. The Bible says, You give to a Chachom, and he will be wiser. I'm giving you the basic principles, you've got to apply it. Will this be a disgrace to the Father? Rashi says, Obviously, yes. Anyone who comes into the house is going to see this uh, table, and therefore, should be, uh, you'd have to return it. My grandfather said that. He said, oh, In a shir, he'd be like, I can't give you all the details. I'm giving you the main principles. And I'm speaking to Chachomim here. Wise, you've got to take it and reapply it. So I can't give you every single detail. Um, so that's what he's saying here. So it's my next Mishnah. Ain portin veloi meisivin Sorry, ain portin. You're not allowed to exchange money. Oh, you go to some, you want pruta. So you've got a 100 rand note and you want to exchange it for 5 rand coins. It says you don't do that. Loi mi teba samolsin. Not from the box of the tax collector, but only kiss shall gaboyim, or the yeah, most might be the customs collector, or the gaboyim, the tax collectors. The ain noitlin mohem tzedakah, you don't accept charity from them. Aval noitel whom we talk base or oimin ashuk, you can accept it from their house or from the marketplace. Either actual money that they gather their tax, 
or their custom fees, you're not allowed to be involved in change of that. And you don't accept money for tzedakah. I'm not sure if that's any money or specifically from those boxes. Why not? Because basically we're going to see in the Gemara we suspect them of theft. We assume that they're involved, the tax collectors and the thing, we assume they're involved in theft. Therefore, you don't accept it from them. Oh, why can't they give tzedakah though? And you don't want to benefit from the money that's stolen. And what about tzedakah? Because if you accept tzedakah from them, they're going to start justifying to themselves. You hear it often. I'll get involved in this. And I know it's a little bit darcy, but I give lots of tzedakah. Like that sort of thinking, you can see how destructive it could be, and therefore you don't accept tzedakah from them. But the, the money that they keep in their house or in the market, or that they're carrying around in the market, you can assume is not stolen. Okay, Tana. We learned in a price. But you can give him, a, let's say you owe tax, so you can give him the 100 rand note that you owe in tax, and he can give you change. Specifically to just use it for money changing or something like that. I feel that there's more to unlock there, but let's go on. Now, what's the problem? Why can you not exchange money with the tax collectors or the customs officers? Because we assume it's stolen. They had no right to take that money from people, and it's stolen money. What does that mean? The law of the land is the law. If the king says, collect tax for me, then the money you collect is not stolen. He's entitled to it. Um, let's read a bit further, and I want to discuss this halacha a bit more, but it's very interesting. But So you can't tell me that the tax collector and the custom collectors are thieves. They're allowed, they're entitled to take that money. So he says, no. Omar of Hanina bar Kahane. We're discussing a tax collector who has no set amount. There are a few ways of understanding it. Either, either he's given license by the king to gather any amount, which is not really fair, and he shouldn't be collecting as much as he wants. Therefore, anything more than he should be collecting is stolen. Um, another way is that it's because he takes, it's, it's, what it means by Enlo Kitzba is he takes, uh, oh, that's my friend, I'll take, okay, just give me 100 rand tax. Oh, you I don't really like, give me 1,000 rand tax. Oh, he doesn't have a set system and he's unfair in how he handles in who he takes the taxes from and how he takes them. Um, and another one is that the king told him how much to collect and he's collecting far more than that. And then that's the one possibility why this tax collector is a thief. The very Rebiyana, Omri Bamoches, Omen we discussing a self-appointed tax collector. Uh, he, uh, he's just powerful and uh, like basically a mafia guy. Just a thief. He appointed himself to a thing. Interesting, in those days it seems that the king would, or at least in the case we're discussing in the Gemara, the king would outsource tax collection. So he would be, okay, I'll sell, he would like kind of sell them the rights, give them the tender to collect the tax, and then that person would go and collect the taxes, um, the taxes. So you can see how it's easy to uh, to become caught up in crookedness there, because there's no the king saying whatever. I want ten thousand. I want uh, what's the budget? <laughs> what they're trying to collect? Another fifteen billion uh, from uh, from uh, good paying uh, good paying citizens, and therefore you got to come up with that. You have the right, and he's got to wheedle his way how to collect tax and at the same time make himself some money from it. So that's, uh, that's the concerns around there. But what do we see? So therefore, interestingly enough, 
yeah, there is a right to collect tax and customs as per Dina de Malkus Dina, but if it's not under the in the right framework, then it would be theft. Are we going to bring a few different teachers that the teachings that this is taught on, but it all comes down to the same point that the the government, the king is allowed to collect taxes, it's not considered stolen. Oh, why do these braces say imply why do these teachers imply that you can avoid paying taxes? And it says because the tax collector is involved in theft the way he's doing it. So I'm taught it on the following teaching. You're not allowed to wear kilayim, even if it's over ten garments to to escape the, the, the customs. So you're going through customs, you know you've got ten shirts in your bag. If the customs collector sees it, he's going to think you're doing business and he's going to charge you. So what do you want to do? You want to put it on. And then you can't charge and you're avoiding the customs. You're not allowed to do that. Um, either because you don't pay customs in, in that, gov, that uh, system, you don't pay customs on personal effects, it would only be on other items. Or another possibility is that only non-Jews would not, Jews had customs and non-Jews did not have custom duties. So therefore, the Jew puts on this Kilayan garment to look like a non-Jew. You're not allowed to. Um, the reason is, um, says, my niece in Deloitte, Rabbi Akiva, our mission is like Rabbi Akiva, the Tanya, as we learned in a Braisa, also like you're forbidden to avoid the tax collect, the customs or tax. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Akiva, muta And Rabbi Shimon says, in the name of Rabbi Akiva, you are allowed to avoid the tax, the customs. Again, this is not, we're not discussing literally, are you allowed to, are you allowed to avoid it by wearing kilayim? Says now, what, what, what? so the problem with Kilayim is putting on a jacket that's worth two and that's got uh, wool and linen in. However, that's mainly to benefit from it as clothes. What happens here? You're not wearing it for clothes. You've got ten jackets on already. This one's actually uh, you putting it on for a different reason. So the one opinion says you can, and the one opinion says you can't. So I understand what they're arguing by Kilayim. The mass of a Dover Sha'im bomb. Something that you have no intent is permitted. I, you're not doing it to wear, you're doing it to avoid the tax collector, and therefore you are allowed to do it. It's a dover shayna miskaven. Also, another opinion holds something that is ayna miskaven is forbidden. As we know, it's a makloikis rabbi shimon and rabbi yehuda. Whether you can do something, you will be doing an isur, but your motivation is not in the osur way. Um, didn't. So, so it's all very well regarding putting on the kilayim that we can understand why there's a machloikes is a dover shayim is kavin or who would ever allow you to to avoid the tax doesn't Shmuel say so Amir Bichanina Bakahano, so Yahweh, so Amir Bichanina Bakahano, but a Moichais who doesn't have the set amount, and a very Biana, Amir Bamoichas, or Amir Moilav, a self appointed tax collector. So though they are thieves, and therefore you don't have to, you can avoid them. But Ainachinami, in general, you would be obligated to pay the tax collector. You would not be allowed to avoid the tax, except in this case where it's thing. And then the question is, okay, okay what about Kilayim? 
There's a lot of interest in the Hashem because isn't it a psikrasha? You're definitely putting it on. So I think it's no psik. If you're wearing 10 shirts already, there's no psikrasha that the 11th shirt is actually going to give you any hanor. So it's not a psikrasha. Some actually want to say, but does it even tower that? Um, don't we always paskin like Rabbi Shimon? So someone is saying, about Shabbos, we paskin like Rabbi Shimon in Einem Eskavin, but by other halachas, we don't paskin like Rabbi Shimon, we might go strict. Why should there be a difference by Shabbos? Because we know on Shabbos it is only also to do Meleches Machsheves, well-planned and significant melacha. So therefore we can go more lenient by an Einem Eskavin. By the rest of the Torah, we don't have the high-level requirement of Meleches Machsheves, so maybe we would pass in Einam Iskaven also. Those are things to consider just regarding Einam Iskaven in this case. And some taught it on the following. You're allowed to take a neder to murderers, planters, and tax collectors that this item is truma or belongs to the king. It's government property. Now, you can, so you can take the neder, you can line take the neder, and this is This is even if it's not truma or the melech. Can I understand you taking this neder to avoid the murderers or the planters? I mean, they're religious, so they're only going to take your article. They're not going to transgress truma. <laughs> um, Sadly, we know of many people who, uh, in their religious life, are very, very pious, but when it comes to the interactions with other people, are lacking, lacking, yeah. Um, so, says, but how can you ever take a letter to avoid the tax collector? Shmuel says, So, now we're speaking about tax collectors in the scenario where there's no set amount. Well, as we discussed, maybe he's not collecting it in a fair set amount, etc. And Riviana says, no, he's speaking about a self-appointed tax collector. So those are the different cases where we see the same application. Interesting enough, we see that avoiding tax, withholding something that is due to someone else, is theft. That says, dinner the malchus dinner. Are you a you're a thief if you hold on to this money due to the tax collector? Oh, where, he's a, where he himself is a thief, then it's a different story. Um, now, just to discuss a little bit about Dina de Malchus Adina, is it Doraisa or Durabonin? So, actually, many, many hold it is Doraisa. And then they discuss the Swara. Um, well, one important distinction to make it would only apply where it's not going against the Torah. You know, if the government's rule affects, well, let's say, the area of Isur, what's permitted or forbidden, that's a different discussion. It's here where it's mamoimus and things like that. And it's not against the Torah. There's no issue in the Torah for a government to collect tax. There's an issue in the Torah for the government to... Let's say, let's say, yeah, let's say the dinner, the Malchus dinner, is every third... Each person has to work one Saturday for the government. So now you're going to be working on Shabbos. That's issue. There you would not... We wouldn't say, oh, dinner, the Malchus dinner, you follow the law of the land. Um, that's one important um, distinction in when we do say this principle of dinner de malchus dinner. Um, then another point. So what would be the source? So many say, that what, like, what's the logic? What's the underlying principle? So some say when you live in a country, you're agreeing to the king or the government's rules. It's almost implicit in, oh, I'm happy to live. Yeah, I'll follow your rules. Um, and therefore. That would apply across the board. The run has a very interesting, uh, well, 
other Rishonim learn, it's because the land actually belongs to the king. And if you learn like that, the run takes that to the far extreme. The land belongs to the king, so he can charge rent. And that's all the taxes and everything else he wants to charge. Um, however, if you learn like that run, we don't pass it like that run, but it's very interesting. A major ramification on that is, uh, is Eretz Yisrael. Each Jew owns land in Eretz Yisrael, so the king can't say, you're living in my land, pay me rent. But then, so you would have to come on to the other reasons. But most Rishonim apply, it extends, it, it, it applies across the board, not only in lands besides Eretz Yisrael. Um, and a Jewish king could charge taxes, etc. I guess the first logic would stand by living in a country, you're agreeing to the terms and agreements that are there. Others want to say it's along the lines of almost. Uh, what should we do? A partnership. Society's got to function. So we need certain things to be run by the state, uh, etc. And therefore you can charge tax. Obviously there's a lot more to discuss on Dinu Damalsu Sutina, but those are some interesting ones. You could argue, now this is interesting. We apply Dinu Damalsu no matter who the king is. They in Babel. We're not speaking about Tzadikim. You know, the Roman kings, the kings, they weren't good necessarily, some were, but they weren't necessarily good people. And still we apply the law of Dina de Malchus Dina. However, there might be, I'm not past getting here, I'm just <laughs> stimulating some thought, in a democracy where there's actually, well firstly I was thinking about in a democracy, can you say, well I didn't vote for them, I don't have to, I don't want, I didn't agree to abide by things, I don't think so, because the system is a democracy and if you're not happy with who got elected, well then find another country where you are happy with who got elected. Um, but okay, that's it. But however, a democracy is different to a king. The king is entitled to whatever he wants. That's the power of being a king. In a democracy, they're very strict uh, I don't know, what's that? boundaries. They're very strict parameters and rules. Uh, laws in the country of what and how they have to spend the taxes and what they go for. The king can't just say, you know, I'd like another X amount of tax. I'd like a fire pool. Like, you know, the king can't say these things. He can't do that. So in that, um, interesting enough, even though there are lots of, let's say, malas and I would say lots of improvements in the system of a democracy over a, over a kingship, over having an evil dictator, an evil dictator might be, there's less excuse to avoid tax when you have an evil dictator than when you have a corrupt government. Because as I'm saying there, the money's supposed to go to specific things, they're abusing the system. They're like these tax collectors we're discussing here, who are thieves. Um, just something to think about, I'm not passing how to handle your taxes. Um, Rav Ashi, or my Rav Ashi says, Kenani. He gives a different answer. He says, no, we're dealing with a Kanani. And what, what's, it, what's a Moichai's Kanani? I, a Moichai's Kanani is, in, again, a non-Jew idol worshipper who you can assume is taking more taxes than he's allowed to. So he's a thief. And that's why. Tanya Yisrael Kanani Onas Shabolodin. We learned in a price. If you have a Yisrael and a non-Jew. Okay, now this... Rashi learns Knani Onos is a Gazlan who stole. There are other opinions, but let's just go with this Knani. So the Jews suing a non-Jew for stealing, and they bring him to court. Now it seems this is in a Jewish-run system. 
says, If you're able to find merit for the Jew according to Jewish law, do that. And say, this is how... This is how we rule. You're in our court, and this is how we, this is our halakha. If you're able to find a reason to help the Jew through Dine Kanani, then you do it. He says, This is your law. This is the, the Constitution says this is how we must deal with it. says, And if you can't get it in those ways, then use strategies to get it out of the hands of the non Jew. The very Rebishmol. Um, yeah, the very Rabbi Yishmael, that's the opinion of Rabbi Shmuel. Rabbi Kiva Omer Ein Banana Bakifin Mitnei Kiddush Hashem. Rabbi Kiva says you're not allowed to use uh, crooked strategies. Akifin implies what's it uh, underhanded uh, means to get this money from the non-Jew Mitnei Kiddush Hashem because of Kiddush Hashem. Um, there's a fascinating Ma'iri here and over the page. But basically it says all these laws where we imply we treat a non-Jew different to a Jew are only speaking about, you know, the ancient pagans who were terrible, terrible barbarians, they were crooked, they were murderous, they were just terrible. Those are the non-Jews that the Torah makes a distinction. When you live in a Western society where everyone follows, uh, has uh, good morals and they try to be just, all these laws fall away and you have to treat a non-Jew exactly the same as you deal with a Jew. What's, I mean, for our, let's, I'll put it in inverted commas, modern sensibility, the theory makes a lot of sense. It's very hard to understand, for us to understand a halacha. How can you tell me that a non-Jew comes to Daisdin and we can try manipulate it, that the Jew wins? Is that fair? And all these halachas we're going to see where you treat a non-Jew differently. We had it earlier. Remember if a your shore goes a non-Jew's ox or thing? So the media would say, yes, that's the pagan. That's these terrible, terrible barbarians. They, savage barbarians, that's who you can treat differently. They're not human. But people, but these but regular non-Jews in... Uh, I mean, and it's, I meant to actually look up the Meiri exactly when he lived and under what society, but my he either lived in Spain or Provence, and that, if I remember correctly, that would be and around the thir- 1300s, 1400s, 1300s. I'll try to remember to check it out, but that is, uh, that's under Christian, uh, strict Christian rule. So they weren't the most, uh, they weren't the nicest people, but they were much more moral and uh, and uh, fair. That's what we, we would use the term well, civilized than the ancient pagans. Okay, so that's just that's very interesting. The Meiri, and you'll notice, I mean, the, the Meiri pops up throughout that that principle of the Meiri pops up throughout the Daf. It's the Meiri discusses it more on Amud Bay's but I just wanted to bring it in now. All these distinctions that we see again are referring to ancient savages but not uh, the pagans, but not to um, upright Western uh, upright uh, Western culture, we wouldn't say it. Um, okay, now Rabbi Akiva said, what's the reason you're not allowed to underhandedly make a Jew in the court case? Because it will cause a Chilul Hashem. 
says Rabbi Akiva, time the Ika Kiddush Hashem, or like a Kiddush Hashem point. Rabbi Akiva said the reason is because there's the only reason is because we're concerned about Kiddush Hashem. If there's no Kiddush Hashem, then you could, if, if there would not be a problem of Kiddush or Chil Hashem, you could trick the non-Jew. I use these underhanded tactics. Tactic says, no, the Gezer Klani, you sorry? You're telling me allowed to steal from a non-Jew? Again, the non-Jew is going to win the court case. Whether by Jewish law or by non-Jewish law. And now we try to find another way to get it out of him. That's theft. Vohotanya Rabbi Shimon, Vohotanya, Omar Rabbi Shimon, Dovazet, Dorash Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva expounded the following thing, Keshebom is Zifrin, when he came from Zifron. Minayin legezel knani shehu osur, how do we know that it's forbidden to steal from a non Jew? Talmud Loimar, the Torah says, Achareinim kargu ula to your law. After he has been sold, you must redeem him. This is where a Jew sells himself as a slave to a non-Jew. Shaloyim shochenu v'yotza. It says you have to redeem him. You're not allowed to draw him out. You're not allowed to help him escape. Yochol yiglomolov. Or you think that you might play a trick to get the Jew out. I pay the wrong amount or whatever. Um, Rashi, well, yeah, Rashi learns here. You have to suffer if the non-Jew wants to pay double. You don't have to. Tosos are much more happy to say it's discussing tricking the non-Jew to get out of paying the full amount. Whatever it says, you must do a fair calculation with the with his owner. Be precise. Uh, you, can't tr- you, can't, you can't even pay him less than what the slave's worth. You have to pay him the fair amount because you're not allowed to steal from a non-Jew. So, so, so we have a contradiction. In the one, Rabbi Akiva seemed to say, is it, it depends, you can trick and steal from a non-Jew as long as there won't be a chilul Hashem. And here he seems to be saying, it's Isudor Isa to steal from a non-Jew. So, Amar Rabbi Akiva, here we're dealing with the Kanani, and here we're dealing with the Gertosh. Are we dealing with a regular non-Jew, or a non-Jew who's over Avodah Zorah, or a Gertosh? Remember, Gertosh is a non-Jew who accepts to not serve Avodah Zorah, or some say even a non-Jew who accepts all of the seven mitzvahs, but either way, depends what type of non-Jew we're speaking about. Depends on whether you can steal from them. Are you happy with that? What you can steal from a non-Jew if you don't like them? As opposed to the ones that we do like. This is not Omalea Bible. It says, They're written together. Now, this Pasuk is the, in the context of. Um, uh, I just forgot the context. Um, oh, um, when you bar from a non Jew, and it's going to have. I don't know, but basically, it's a whole list of different types of non Jews that you would be dealing with in regards to a slave, including a Kanani, uh, a non-Jew. Therefore, the Pasuk, which says you've got to act fairly with a non-Jew, is obviously also referring to that. So, so, so the first answer is, well, we'll make a distinction between a Kanani, a non-Jew who serves Avodah Zorah, and a Gertoshav, a non-Jew who does not serve Avodah Zorah. It says, no, they all Included together because the pasuk is quite redundant. The whole pasuk is the key tasid yad ger, the toshavi moch he loves you, umochachicho imo, and your poor brother has gone to be with him. The nimkar and he sold leger toishav imo oila eker mishpachas ger. So we've seen it says tosh ger toshav leger toshav eker mishpachas ger. So quite a lot of different types of non-Jews referred to in the Pasuk, and that's what we're going to be expounding now. So he says, um, not only if he sells the, the Jew to you, 
says, El Olegeir, even to a Geir. Shenemar is a Pasuk, says Geir. The Lola Geir Tzedek, we're not only speaking about a proper convert, a Geir Tzedek is what we would call a convert, El Olegeir Toshav, even a Geir Toshav. Shenemar Olegeir Toshav. Mishpachas Geir, ze Ovi Kulchovim. And when it says Mishpachas Geir, that's referring to a fully fledged Lanchu. And Keshuhu Oimer Oila Eiker, to an idol, ze Hanim Kalavodz Kalavodz that's someone who's even sold into serving actual Avodazara. So all of these people are referred to in the context. And included a Kanani. So El Omar over other of us says, no, no, Again, we try to resolve the contradiction between Rabbi Akiva, who seems to, one Rabbi Akiva says it's Isu, Osudoraisa, to steal from an Anju. The other Rabbi Akiva comes along and said that, well, as long as there's no Chilul Hashem, you can. Um, so Omar over other says, no, Kasha. Kan Begzela, Kan Bahakofa Havosa. Here we're discussing stealing, and here we're discussing not paying a loan. I, when the money is, there's a difference between not paying a loan, when you've already been given the money, or actually stealing from a non-Jew. That's the answer of Rava. Now, just before we go into Abai's opinion, based on the previous stuff, would you say you're allowed to withhold something due to a non-Jew? You weren't even allowed to withhold taxes. So obviously, so the, all the, those opinions argue on this idea of Rava. But this is Rava's opinion that you can with, you can't. Steal from an Anju, but you can withhold money from him. So Omalaya Baya Baya says, Ever Ivri Havkos Havosahu. Ever Ivri is Havkos. And when the Pasuk says, Bechishev Imkono, you will do, sorry, wrong one, um, isn't freeing or redeeming this Jewish slave the same as a loan? I, the slave, what does he do? He sells himself to the non-Jew. I, he's kind of lending the non-Jew's work. So if you hold him, if you help the, this Jew escape from his non-Jewish master, you're really just withholding something that the Jew owes the non-Jew. So that seems to be fine. So Abaya says, um, you can't. So he says, so, so, so Abaya also says, you can't withhold of course, our boss, you can't withhold payment from an Anju. Oh, where does, but how can Rob? He says, no, Rob, time to Amar Rob, every says, no, and every it's not that he owes the Nanju the work for buying him. His actual body is owned by the Nanju. It's just as the Nanju owes his car and you can't take it from him, the Nanju owes this Jewish person as his slave and you can't take it from him. Again, unlike the way a buyer looks at it, that you, um, um, that the, the Jew isn't actually owned by the non-Jew. It's more an entitlement by owning the Jew as a slave. He's entitled to the work. So that would be um, withholding. So according to Abaya, we see also you can't do Havkos Havvasa, withhold something due to the non-Jew. Um, okay, are you running off today? Okay. Or are you going to... okay, so I want to bring out an interesting point before you leave. Just firstly on this Kirush Hashem and Chilul Hashem. So... Um, just an interesting point. Often, some, we often say that you've got to be more careful with how you're dealing with the non-Jew because if you're dealing with a, with a Jew and you crook him, the Jew will say, you know what, I know, I know Hashem's upright, I know his Torah upright, I know Jews are good people, it's this scoundrel. But when you're dealing with a non-Jew, they automatically jump and say, look at Jews, that's Hashem. And that's what he says here. Um, the the so Rabbeinu, it's there, yeah, and you see it. Um, we say about these Jews sitting in jail for tax fraud and stuff, yeah, they, they're the scoundrels. But you see non-Jews, they pull it out and they say, look at, they're trying to rule the world, they, and to see months they don't care about, you know, they use it as good uh, leverage. 
um, ammunition for their for their anti-Semitism, etc. And that's a huge chilul Hashem. So here the Rabbeinu Bachri is discussing it on this pasuk. So remind that's the pasuk Rabbi Akiva brought that teaches us you're not allowed to steal from around you because you have to make a fair calculation with him. You can't steal the slave or help the slave escape. You have to chishim. You have to pay him for it. Um, and that's even where the that's even where the non-Jews under Jewish law. That's why you can insist on the you can insist on him selling the Jewish slave, but it has to be fair because it's under Jewish law, etc. And still we have all these stringencies. And then he just mentions here in the one paragraph, and that's interesting, Rabbi Nubachim. But I just want to say, you've got to make a fair cut. Oh, this is what also adds is there it's discussing that the Jewish slave will go free in Yovel year. So clearly it's under the Jewish authority that he's going to go free in Yovel anyway. So you've got to do it fairly. If there's 10 years till Yovel year, you've got to pay the non Jew more than if there's only 5 years left. That's that whole cocaine. You're not even allowed to steal from him a little bit. But then he says, because if you're not precise and you steal from him, there's a greater chilul Hashem than if you steal from Israel. So even though obviously you've got to be, in our hands we're much more, we would jump to be, you've got to be much more careful with Jews' property, but be careful because chilul Hashem is worse, and uh, there are many sources to imply that chilul Hashem could be far worse than any other Avera. One other interesting thing, we're going to discuss a little bit further down the page, it is relevant to what we do, tells Akim, what happens if the non-Jew gives you the wrong change, or he forgets to invoice you? You know, are you allowed to then, or inverses you wrong? Are you allowed to take advantage of that? Interesting uh, question. And here, so this is fascinating here. Um, so this is just from Shulchan Aruch. He says, Even if you steal a Shabbat Pruta, you transgress. Sorry, wrong one. Um, Yeah, even if you steal a pruta, it's also of loy signavu. And he says, "V'chayv l'shalem echor ha'goyne mamon Yisrael, or ha'goyne mamon shel akom." It's whether we're speaking about a Jew or non-Jew's money. Even a pruta is also, and whether you steal from an adult or a child. He says, "However, then the Ramah brings tolls akom kagon shelahatoy so becheshpon to trick him in the calculation. All afkia helvoso." Or in some way to withhold the loan, mutar or vivad shaloya dead like a chilashem. It would be mutar as long as there's no chilashem. So you can, if a non-Jew gives you the wrong change, you could rely on it. Um, some say you're not allowed to instigate the mistake. You, it's only if he does the mistake, like he gives you the wrong change, and that would be a problem. So that's the general law is maybe you are in certain scenarios allowed to rely. If a non-Jew makes a mistake, take advantage of it. But now the berakola. Interesting. The berakola was a Lithuanian sage. I think this is where we would. This is our natural Lithuanian heritage comes out here. We can, you see how uncomfortable we are with this discussion. That's the Lithuanian approach, you know. There are, other, not, there are others, you know, like whether it comes to a non-Jew, take advantage of when they make a mistake, etc. We, we're not comfortable with that. And the Beragolu was a Lithuanian, I think he was actually the grandfather of the Vilnagon. But what he does, generally, all he does is his commentary is tell you where in the Rishonim or the Gemara the Shulchan Aros Halacha comes from. So here he'll put in the margin here, it's from Baba, Baba, Baba Kama, Dav Kufyut Gimel, and it's the Rambam's opinion. That's basically what he does all the time. So you can imagine on a whole piece of Shulchan Aruch, it's a few lines. Look how long it is here, and he has a whole write up, and he says this is on this point of Kirush and Chilul Hashem. Um, 
So he goes into at length what the scenario is when it might be allowed. I, the non-Jews, making the mistake himself, and the Jew says, "Oh, you, you're telling me you've calculated the money, the change, or you've calculated how much goods you've sent me and you've counted it." And he says, "Yes, yes." Then you can rely, and then you get it, and you realize instead of giving you a hundred, he's giving you hundred and twenty. That you know that's. But he's going into those cases, and then he says, "Bashom um, says, "Kosav." Sorry, um, he says, if you return a lost, a lost object would be the same story. You find a non-Jew's uh, watch in the throat. You can keep it, according to strict letter of the law in many scenarios. Should you return it? If you can do the Kiddush Hashem, you should. So he says, To bring glory to Yisrael, and that people realize that you can trust Jews, this is very praiseworthy. You have to look at the commentaries he's bringing. It says, So if you return the change, so he says, So too. And don't you give your wrong change? You're right, he'll never realize. And it won't be a Chilul Hashem. Just take the opportunity to do the Kiddush Hashem. Return it. You know, you, the shopkeeper gives you the wrong amount and you go back and you say, I remember my family once, I don't know, they bought some stuff. And my dad took them shopping and they came back to the car and they realized they had a whole lot of cold drinks or something that they hadn't bought or something like that. He went and he took them back and the, the manager, often they don't even know how to handle this sort of thing. She said, oh wow, you Jews are wonderful. And she gave them a pot plant in thanks and appreciation for it. So my siblings named it the Kiddush Hashem pot plant. But that's, a, but that's, a, that's what you've got to try to do. And he says, then he says, um, he says, Vani Koisav Zela Doris, I want to make a declaration for all generations. I've seen many make fortunes out of the mistake that non-Jews make. And you know what? Their money disappears and they have nothing left for their descendants. As it's written in Sefer Chasidim, and he says, and I've seen many who lost a lot on the surface by returning Tolz Akumba, returning money to a non-Jew. To make a kiddush Hashem and Baruch Hashem, they lived, lot, they had lots of money to leave over to their children. So he's saying he's seen almost with his own eyes. I don't know if he's saying it from himself or the Sefer Chassidim, but he's seen with his own eyes that when you go out your way to make a kiddush Hashem, it's worth your while. We'll leave it there in the Gemara today. But there's one, there's an amazing story with Ralph. Good morning, Ralph. Good morning. There's a famous story with uh, Irvin Bunim. He was one of those in early in America around the Second World War, and he helped set up the yeshivas. He was very close to a lot of the Gedolim, like Rabbi Aaron Kotler. And he once uh, he was, I think, huge, huge dealer in textiles, very, very wealthy and successful. And he realized one of his uh, suppliers hadn't invoiced him or hadn't sent him the correct uh, invoice. So he went up to them and he told them, I owe you money, please send me an invoice. And they like went through and he said, no. He got the auditors involved. He said, just check, I do owe you. And the manager, he got the, you know, the managers and the CEOs involved and they all like looked at the accounts and stuff and said, we don't, you don't owe us anything. Really, uh, we've checked our books, we've checked our accounts. So he took his son, he said, let's come, let's put on our Shabbos clothes. And he wrote out a check for the amount of merchandise he had received. And he went up to them and he said, yeah, I know, I know I've bought merchandise from you and I haven't paid for it. Here's the money. And uh, yeah, I just thought that's, that's quite inspiring. You see how far people go to Makadeshem Shamayim. And that would be 
a lot of the points on this page. Um, yeah, sorry, I have to end here now. So just to mention a few points that come up. Can you keep a lost object of a non-Jew? So technically, it seems you can, but obviously not where it will be a Chilul Hashem. Also, you have to analyze with the Meiri apply here. We treat Jews and non-Jews the same, where it's West when we're dealing with Western civilization. And um, Taos Akum, as we mentioned here with Miss Change, that also comes up. And yeah, have a very good Shabbos.